Hello, everyone. Welcome to the inaugural episode of Eastern Approaches podcast with Andrew Valone and Ben Curtis. Hi, everybody. Hello, Ben. Hello, everyone. Um, ben, I think the last time we actually met, because we're actually we're not doing this in person. We're we're uh, appropriately socially distanced by a thousand-ish kilometers. Exactly. Yes. I think the last time we saw each other in person was about three years ago in Mostar, which is kind of... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I was going to say Ljubljana, but yeah, there was that Mostar um, uh, happenstance rendezvous. Yeah, indeed. So that must be why we'll be heading back to that part of the world uh, later on in the show. Um, so let's give everyone just a little bit about ourselves. I actually, up until 21 years ago, had never knew much about this part of Europe or this part of the world. Um, I didn't study history or poli-sci. Um, in fact, I never traveled outside of North America until I was 30 years old. And then 21 years ago, I took a big six-month trip, and I spent most of it in what we call Eastern and Central Europe and in Russia, and basically got sold on travel. I definitely got bit by the travel bug and on this part of the world. Since then, I started my own tour company 15 years ago called Savor the Experience Tours. And I run a lot of tours in Slovenia and former Yugoslavia. So I decided about six, seven years ago to move to Slovenia with my family. So I'm currently located in Koper, which is right on the Adriatic coast, port city, the only port city in Slovenia. Ben, just a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I first fell in love with this part of Europe and this part of the world uh, because I was in university um, as uh, the Iron Curtain came down and this whole area was transitioning from communism to democracy and a capitalist economy. And so already in the early 90s, I was over here exploring and uh, lived in Prague in the 1990s, lived in Budapest for a little while in the 2000s, and now I live in Prague again, so Prague is home. For many years, I was a professor in Seattle teaching European history and politics, and I've written a couple of books on the history and politics of this part of the world. I also work in tourism as a tour guide and a guidebook researcher. And a couple of things about me that I don't know, I will totally unapologetically admit to is that I am an elitist culture vulture. Like I love classical music, opera, theater, museums, this kind of highbrow stuff, and there's lots of great highbrow and lowbrow attractions in this part of the world. Um, one of my biggest regrets though, that I, that I have to also admit in talking about this part of the world is that I was never here while I was still communist. Uh, and that's if I had the time machine and Andrew and I are both working on a prototype, which we're gonna try out the time machine here in the next year, see if it works, um, that we're gonna go back and explore this world, this part of the world under communism, just so we can see how different it is. That is a great idea, Ben. Um, mm. Oh yeah, we, we are actually working on the time machine. Mm. So yes, I, I, would, I would add to that, that if that ever came about, I've always, not always, but since I've been traveling here, I would definitely want to go back to this, let's say kind of 1960s era of, of travel in Yugoslavia. I've got all these old travel guidebooks uh, written in that time period. And I'm, I'm curious, from, from what I hear, I don't think I missed out too much on the gray, lifeless Soviet times, just from talking with others who've been to Russia, 
when it was uh, Soviet times, but definitely other places I would, would love to go see again. And really, you know, we're talking about a lot of things on this podcast. And I guess the first thing we need to discuss really is, you know, what, where, kind of where we're talking about. We're talking Central and Eastern Europe because too many people just lump everything that's not Western Europe into Eastern Europe. Um, and for me, we've, we've, if we're going to divide up Europe, like we divide up any place, and I don't mean just like we, but, you know, tra- let's say the travel industry and just people in general, most places in the world I've noticed get divided up a lot more than Europe, which for the most, for most people just seems to be East or West. Um, you know, if Asia, I think that anyone who knows anything about Asia, they would always think, oh, there's the Far East, there's Southeast Asia, there's the Middle East. And, um, and if you're listening in America, you think of like, you've got West Coast, East Coast, you've got Pacific Northwest, you've got the South, you've got the Midwest. And so you've got in North America, culturally, isn't anything on par with, with Europe, and yet we've divided up in so many places. We just feel like we don't want to put everything in Europe just in two very separate, very different camps. Right. And I would suggest to people that, you know, if you maybe grew up in the 50s, 60s, 70s, or 80s, you probably have this idea that there's Eastern Europe and Western Europe. And the reason you have that idea probably is because of the Cold War. Because the Cold War, the Iron Curtain from Stettin on the Baltic to Trieste on the Adriatic, as Winston Churchill said, it divided Europe in some ways into two. But the thing I want you to know as a historian is that that division of Europe into just two halves, Eastern and Western, is totally ahistorical. That was not the case throughout essentially all of European history, that there was really just two halves. There's always something in the middle, and that's Central Europe, which has kind of come back into its own uh, since the fall of the Iron Curtain. But there's this whole kind of gradation, right, that's um, the middle part of Europe moving east. And I was going to mention one little way of thinking about this, Uh, again, kind of coming from the historian's point of view. Think about the Gothic style, right? Think about uh, amazing Gothic cathedrals like you have in, say, France or southern England. Think about Notre Dame in Paris. Um, Here's this architectural style that started in France, but you can find it all the way going east through Central Europe into bits of what you could consider Eastern Europe. Like the Gothic style goes about as far east as the town of Brasov in Romania. But then the Gothic style ends. And you don't really find Gothic in, say, you know, uh, Russia, for example. You don't find it in Belarus. You don't find it in eastern Ukraine. And so what this tells us is there's these connections from east to west through the middle, through central, that kind of tie things together. And so that's why I uh, want to encourage people not to think about just east and west, but to think about east, middle, and west, central Europe and eastern Europe. So that's kind of the area we're going to look at. And we're going to look at and talk about all these kind of fascinating places and kind of cultural connections and histories and politics and cultural events and current events um, that are on the central and eastern bit of Europe. I think we're also going to talk about these essential empires that shape this whole area. So we can talk not just about the countries, the peoples that exist now, but all the different empires 
uh, that left their imprint here uh, that helped shape how it is today. So I think like for me, like it, in real basic terms, it's like, okay, anything that's Europe or European-ish that's not firmly Western Europe is pretty much fair game for us. And I think if there's ties in with, with other empires and culture, then you know we're always up for, for, for talking or including a lot of different things. Um, some of the other topics uh, that I want to mention we'll, we'll, we'll touch on uh, is culture. And I don't just mean like, okay, let's just do some serious dive thing here. One of the, the first things I realized, like the cultural difference between where my wife is from in Russia and, and also people here who live in Slovenia, and I think it would be the same in Czech Republic, different than, than America was just on a really basic level was the idea of jealousy, which I just in a nutshell tell people, you know, in America, if your neighbor gets a Porsche and you want to outdo them, you would go buy a better car. You'd get the Ferrari, the Lamborghini. It, in a lot of the places in Central and Eastern Europe, you're, the jealousy would be more, oh, my neighbor's got this, this nice new cow. Maybe I'd want two cows. Of course not. No, you just want your neighbor's cow to die. And that to me is like the biggest, like easiest way to say like, here's this cultural divide that I, I wouldn't have known this from reading books or watching films or anything that I just kind of noticed with some people. And then I talk with other people. I remember a, we had a Czech friend who lived in Seattle and she kind of told me the same thing. And I had heard this from some friends in Russia and other places. So those are kind of things that we'd like to, to talk about. I think really, whatever we're interested in. I mean, we, there's plenty of topics we, we can talk about here. Um, another thing that I'd like to get into is just some ideas of, let's say, Yuga nostalgia, which is people who lived in former Yugoslavia kind of wishing or wanting or thinking about how great life was back then. And so this is going to be an ongoing theme throughout our podcast is what is Central Europe? What is Eastern Europe? How do you define them? What makes them interesting? So this is kind of just an intro for this first podcast about where are we talking about, but we're going to dive in over the course of the coming episodes to um, how you can really think about these things and get, get these ideas of what's Central, what's Eastern, and what makes them interesting uh, through your head. Another thing that we'll have each episode is a destination focus, and that could be a specific country, it could be a city, it could be, well, it could be a lot of things. Uh, ben and I just decided randomly that it was going to be Bosnia for our first episode here. Uh, that was even before I realized that it was the last time we saw each other was in Bosnia. <laughs> <laughs> um, so why, why, why Bosnia? So for me, Bosnia came on the radar, probably like most people, it came on the radar during the 90s war. And I would just see random CNN uh, updates from there. But one thing that stuck in my head that I like distinctly remember the exact day and where I was, was it was sometime in 1995 and I lived in Seattle at the time and I was working downtown and I'd seen a, something on the news about another shelling at the outdoor market in Sarajevo. And I think it killed, I don't know, a hundred people. It was, it, it, quite a lot of fatalities. And later that day, I was walking to the bus stop and I walked by Pike Place Market, which for those of you who don't know, it's a, it's a huge outdoor market. It's, a, it's one of the most iconic places in Seattle. And it really, I thought about it, I thought, 
could I imagine just, you know, going to the Pike Place Market, which is a place I go to on the weekends to shop, to eat, whatever, and having something like that happen. It just, that was like, before it was like, I don't know, these are some places that I have vague recollections from the 1984 Winter Olympics, and that's about it. I don't really understand this conflict, whatever. And that really hit home for me. And a couple years later, I was in Los Angeles visiting a friend of mine, and, and we're, we're both film guys. And I said, hey, here's this Welcome to Sarajevo film. I'm just kind of curious. Let's, let's go see it. We need to see something that's not a blockbuster. And it was funny. I watched the film. I learned, obviously, a lot more probably than I ever did with um, just, you know, getting bits and bobs on the news. And I thought, wow, this is fascinating. These, you know, all the stuff that's happened, the, the main focus of the movie is on the journalists who covered it there. And I remember thinking to myself, like, wow, I'm so glad. Another thing I'm so glad I missed out on. Like, I'm so glad I've avoided that. It wasn't, I mean, to, if someone would have said, oh, you know, in 10 years' time, You'll probably be in Sarajevo two or three times a year. I, I would just say you're absolutely batshit crazy. <laughs> there's, 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 there's no way. Um, so that kind of that, that, those were like little things well before I was even traveling or thinking of traveling that got me into it. But once I was tra traveling, I spent a half day in Mostar in January of 2000, where for sure there were more UN peacekeepers than just normal folks on the street. And of all my travels during that six month time, that was the first time I felt like there's tangible history. Like everything else was always like, yeah, this church was built then. And I just spent three weeks in Italy and I'd seen all this amazing things Etruscans and Romans had made. But this was like, oh yeah, this was just seemingly like on the news not that long ago. And you could see all the, the signs of, of, of devastation and war and, and everything else there that made it so fresh. And I think what's interesting about Bosnia, too, is once you, you go delve, delve a little deeper into reading about the conflict, and I'm, we're not going to, into that is certainly right now, but it, all, it reminded me, gosh, Bosnia seemed a lot like Poland in the Second World War. They, they were stuck in the middle of two really powerful nations. And I kind of like the fact that they were like, they're the underdog. They're like the people like, you know, when I went there, and when I started running tours there, people would be like, Bosnia? Well, why would I go to, why would you go to Bosnia? Why should I go to Bosnia? And, and I, I like that. That appeals to me like, yeah, actually, it's really, really cool. Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything you just said, Andrew. And to what I would add to like, why I like Bosnia is, yeah, it's an underdog. It's kind of misunderstood. Um, people from outside of the region probably all they think of Bosnia is the war, right? But I want to everyone who listens to us to think about, hey, there's so much more to Bosnia than the war. It's such a fascinating little country. In some ways, it actually does personify this east meets west meets somewhere in between that we're talking about in this podcast. Like, you know, Bosnia really is where these cultures meet, and that just makes it pretty unique in Europe. But the one specific thing I want to mention about why I like Bosnia so much is that it's quirky. It is unusual. It's a bit different. Um, it's you know can be harder to appreciate it in some reason for some reason in some ways. Excuse me um, because of that. But actually, that's what makes Bosnia special. And one particular thing that makes Bosnia special in this way is its sense of humor. Like Bosnian sense of humor 
So they know in a way that they're underdogs, right? They know that there's these kind of negative stereotypes about Bosnia in the world as, you know, a place of war and misunderstood and all that kind of stuff. But Bosnians often turn those into jokes. So let me tell just one Bosnian joke right now. And a lot of Bosnian jokes are about these two guys, Muyo and Hasso, which are just like kind of, you know, stereotypical Bosnian names. And this joke, Muyo has emigrated to Germany, like a lot of Bosnians do or want to do, looking for work. And he's sitting in the employment office there. And the uh, employment officer is kind of looking over his resume saying, hmm, okay, let's see, Mr. Muyo. Mm-hmm-hmm. Okay, so you're from Bosnia. Let's see, right? That's that's in former Yugoslavia, right? Where you guys are always fighting each other. And when you guys, well, sort of, yeah. And so this uh, employment office guy says, so, okay, you're from there. Which one are you? And Muyo says, I'm from Bosnia specifically. And the employment officer says, Bosnia, Bosnia, let's see, right. Aren't you the lazy ones? And Muyo says, no, sir, that is not right. That is really offensive. It's the Montenegrins who are the lazy ones. I'm a Bosnian. We are the dumb ones. But I'm shrimp shot. Anyway, so, so there's one Bosnian joke. I'll tell another one later. But yeah, it just gets to something quirky and unusual about the culture. And these are jokes that Bosnians tell about themselves. So I really like that they kind of don't take themselves too seriously like that. I, I definitely think we could have a, a episode where we go into joke, jokes and stereotypes. And, and I would say most, most of that would be picked out by the people from those countries, not necessarily mm. uh, by us, but by the actual locals who, cause I've, I've heard, yeah, there's a, there's a, there's an excellent Montenegrin joke that I'm, that I'm not sure like what this podcast is rated. So we'll, we'll have to see, but perhaps we could have a, one of my friends on from Montenegro and have her tell it that probably mm-hmm. would sound better than, than, than you and I do. That makes it legal, right? Yeah, exactly, okay. exactly, yes. It's like there's no, there's no editing window. It's the guest who comes out with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so then what's, what's one of the, other than the, other than the jokes and other than the people, what's, what's one place or one thing about Bosnia that you like when, you, when you're traveling there? Yeah, um, you know, there's a lot to see in Bosnia. It is a beautiful country and some interesting uh, cities and towns and landscapes. But what I want to talk about is something that a lot of people don't know to look forward to when they come to Bosnia, and that's the food. Like you don't, you know, when you think of Bosnia, nobody outside of the region thinks of, ooh, yum, yum, the food, right? It's not Italy or something like that. It's not Greece. But actually, Bosnia does have some great food. Um, and a couple things that I really look forward to, and even now just thinking about them, my mouth is watering. So one of the most famous things you have to have in Bosnia is pita or burek, right? And these are these savory pies, not like an American-style fruit pie kind of thing. These are like these pies made of this thin phyllo dough baked ideally in this big round kind of pan. And the burek, the Bosnians will tell you, burek can only be a, a meat pie, right? Though in the other parts of Yugoslavia, burek can be other things. But the pita in Bosnia, you can fill it with cheese. You can fill it with spinach and cheese, which is one of my favorites. You can fill it with potatoes. You can fill it with, like, squash. There's even, like, sweet versions with, like, sour cherry. And, like, this is just a great meal. You have a big slice of pita or burek 
and then traditionally you'll drink it with like some kind of iron, some like salty yogurt. And man, that is a fantastic um, meal. And you'll find these Burek Genitsas, these places that serve these this pita and Burek all over uh, any Bosnian city of any size. And they're super cheap. And I love that. But there's lots of other great things. I love stuffed peppers, like kind of stuffed with rice, uh, fried battered cauliflower is super delicious. Vegetables are really great often in Bosnia. They'll do some like local cheeses, literally that like this cheese came from this farmer that, you, that the person serving it knows in the mountains, right? And you can have that, this kind of tangy local cheese. I have a addiction to carbs, like maybe too many people do. Um, Bosnia satisfies my carb addictions, especially with this thing called ustipci which are these like fritters, typically like these sort of roundish balls or, you know, sometimes they're kind of flat, which is like fried dough. And you eat them typically with this kind of kaimak, this uh, clotted cream, I think we would call it in English. Um, and then desserts, you know, there's all kinds of good desserts. My favorite is that Bosnians make some mean baklava. You might think of baklava as like Turkey or I don't know, Lebanon, but man, the Bosnians have baklava too and they make really good stuff. So that's all the things that I, as a vegetarian, love. But I'll tell you what, what Bosnian food is famous for outside of the region, and that is meats. And Andrew can tell you all about the meats. So I'll kind of toss to him to talk about the javapchichi and that sort of stuff. I was getting a little worried there. I was thinking, gosh, is, 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 does Bosnia not have any meat present? <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. boy, does it have meat. <laughs> yeah, I've actually, it's interesting to hear. Uh, I've, I think I've had just a few vegetarians on, on my t- on my tours, at least the ones in in Bosnia, uh, and I don't and I, I it's hard to think of like oh yeah, but there is there, you're right there is quite a bit because there's so many different versions of the pita, uh, mm-hmm. the sirnica and things like that. Yeah, for I mean anywhere in the Balkans, I'd say in general one of the things in the Balkans is like if you like meat you won't go hungry. Um, in fact, one <laughs> there's a um, there's a restaurant right across the border from me in Croatia that serves up grilled meats because it's a brew pub. And what I found out not so long ago is they bring, they actually bring a guy from, I think he was from, from Belgrade, so that's in Serbia, <laughs> to teach everyone how to like properly do your meats like you would, like these pizzerias in Seattle would bring in the guy from from Naples to be like, okay, hmm. here you got to be certified or whatever. So I think like Balkans might be the only place where they're like, okay, you got to get certified to grill mm-hmm. your correctly. So yeah, we've got a lot of, Bosnia has a lot of uh, chivopchichi, which is, well, it depends. It can, it can be a mix of meats. It could be beef and lamb or it's beef and pork. If it's in, if it's in Bosnia, like Syria, where most are, it's usually like Syriovsko chivop, which is just, which is no pork, just meat and some spices, served usually in a pita bread uh, with onions. It's really, it's it's really basic. It's it's the really quick to go type of thing. I mean, actually, it's not just to go. You can you sit down and eat it as well, but you can have it as a to go thing. I think up until maybe ten years ago, Sarajevo was one of two capitals in Europe that not that did not have a McDonald's, and I always thought that was because. Well, who needs that when you already have your like two or three euro uh, mm-hmm. grab and go or fast food meat there? Um, you could also get, last time I was there about a year ago, you can get more like donor kebabs like you would think mm-hmm. of, uh, in Turkey. And 
there's also this uh, peka, which is like, or is pulled sach, which is meat and potatoes cooked under uh, under a metal bell, kind of like a Dutch oven. And that's fantastic. It's, it's slow cooked. And th that's the one thing I could say as, as a meat lover is when I have really good peka, which is almost all the time because there's no excuse not to have good peka, is, and I've had guests tell me this too, you could just eat the potatoes. Like you cook the meat with the potatoes and maybe some onions or a few carrots. And I've had people say like, you could just eat these potatoes all day. In fact, I would say Bosnia gets, there's so many people that say, man, the potatoes here are so good. Um, that yeah, you can just like, hey, I'll, I'll set aside the meat and just go, just go potato. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and the thing, you know, even though I don't eat the meat, I know from what everybody tells me, my friends are like, as Andrew's kind of saying that the, the like way of doing the chivab chichi, the classic sort of little sausage type things, like, you know, there's Sarajevo chivab chichi, there's Banja Luka chivab chichi, which Bosnians insist, oh, they're totally different, right? Like those are not the same thing that, you know, there's this one particular street in Sarajevo where there's a bunch of these chivab chichi kind of restaurants. And I think partly to attract people, they have like their kind of exhaust flumes of the restaurants, but like blowing the exhaust right over the street. So you just walk down that street and it smells like grilling meat. And even I will admit like, oh yeah, it, it does smell kind of delicious to walk down that street. It's kind of like those, those little mister things that you, you mm -hmm. see in the parks of the cities in the summertime, right. you walk by, you just stick your tongue out, you know, and get just a little <laughs> of the meat flavor on there without, you know. Exactly. Getting, getting the meat. Um, yeah, for me, the, and I could, of course, there's a, a, there's a lot of great food and interesting enough, some very good wines. And I'm guessing most people would not think of Bosnia as a place that has wines. That's for another, that's for another topic uh, mm. sometime. But for me, I would say the Herzegovina region in general, uh, which is, which is the southern part that runs along a lot of Croatia, not all of Croatia, and, and some of Montenegro. It's where Mostar is located, and, and to be honest, most people who've been there or, you know, thinking about Bosnia, that's probably the place everyone has in their head with, with the uh, iconic uh, Turkish bridge, or Ottoman bridge, sorry. There, and that was the first place I went, because I actually visited Mostar as a day trip from, from Dubrov Dubrovnik, and I took just a public bus there and back. But um, I think the first time I came to Bosnia proper, like to spend some time and I had my own wheels to drive around. Um, it was funny because I came also, I came in from coast of Croatia. It's just, that's, there's so many, it's, I don't know, with bus connections and flights and other stuff. And people are always around that area of Croatia. When you drive in, it, I grew up in Southern California. And the first thing that dawned on me was like, this, this seems a lot like where I grew up because I just came from the coast and okay, Adriatic's not Pacific, but there's just some similarities. And you drive inland into Southern California and it's, it's arid and it's dry and it's mountainous and it's kind of scrubby. And all of a sudden you just like, you, you drive into Bosnia and it's actually an interesting mix because parts of it are really lush and that you've got so much water there. You've got the the Neretva River that you'll probably drive uh, alongside as you're going to Bosnia, but just the whole the whole landscape of you've got this. You you look up, you've got mountains everywhere uh, and and plateaus, 
And one of the things that I did, because I'm an avid guidebook reader, is when I went there, I was like, okay, here's this, what's, what's off beaten track that looks interesting? Like, what's, what am I going to see that's not in Mostar, or that's not in Sarajevo, or that's not in the, whatever the small town is that all the Catholic pilgrims go to, you know, that, like, yes, you know, like, I need to see something else, and I read about this one motel that's in a small village in the plat, in, on the plateau above Mostar, and I remember spending a couple days there, and that was fantastic, because it was like a post office, a, a mosque, and this, in this motel with the husband and wife and they cook you the dinners and everything's really local. And when you're driving there, you're, you get stuck in traffic jams because it's the people, it's the, all the sheep herders and goat herders and things like that. And at the end of the day, I remember listening from the room I was at, just hear these bells ringing, not church, not church bells or mosque calls or anything, but it was all the bells of these different animals that were like, okay, they're all coming back to wherever they're, they're going to. Um, and that that whole area is just the kind of countryside is a fa- is a fascinating place. Um, and I actually would bring guests there. The the motel is, is I don't think is is no longer no longer running. But for a long time I did that, and people really liked it because you can go and see Mostar and this attraction and these other small towns. And there's so many like little things. Especially when you're driving around, you just like oh here's some I don't know. Well, they call them stetchy, but the, these, um, uh, I don't call them, kind of tomb, uh, tombstone, yeah. big block things. There's all sorts of little interesting places, um, and it was great just to be, but like every night you're like, okay, I'm going to have my dinner cooked for me, and I'm going to listen to the goats, you know, come back from pasture, and their bells ring, and whatever, hear the call of the mosque, and it's just it, just a, a fascinating little area there. So that was, uh, that's like the place that, I mean, there's a lot of places in Bosnia, and there, we should say Bosnia is very, very di- diverse too. I mean, I think if you travel from the Herzegovina region into, let's say, Bosnia, Bosnia section, you just notice like, okay, mountains are bigger, there's forests everywhere. It's, there's a lot of like obvious uh, differences, and the Herzegovina region. I mean, that was what 15 years ago. I think I first started going there, just driving around. And there's still little places I'm like, okay, I saw this, you know, this place, certain places, they might've been destroyed when I went 15 years ago. Now they were built or now tourism's back up or, hey, there's, they're building an airport in Trebinje, which is like, <laughs> but I think another episode, we'll have to have like bizarro, bizarro decisions in the Balkans. Yeah, man. <laughs> that'll, and that'll be, that'll be on the list for sure. Yeah, yeah, we could go for hours on that one. Um, but I, but yeah, just to like bounce off what you were saying that that is one thing that is so great about Bosnia, um, especially like if you're thinking about traveling there, is it's so easy to get out into the countryside and kind of the land, and things are more rustic, but that's part of the charm, right? Like um, with the food, for example, that if you if you go stay in you know some even someplace in one of the towns, that it is a good bet that everything on your plate will have come from within, you know, 50 miles, right? Or 100 kilometers, say. Um, it's like, this, there's not that much stuff that's flown in from Chile to Bosnia, right? These, like these apples or whatever, like stuff is more local, produce is a lot more organic, um, and you don't have to go very far to like really get where, where your, the wine comes from, where the cheese comes from, you know, uh, where the, whatever, the peppers were picked, 
um, where the cows were raised that go into your meat. And that is um, like not only healthier, but it's also, I think, really cool to have that connection to the land that's so easy to find in Bosnia. Yeah, I think there's, I mean, you could definitely, I don't know if they, if it's zero kilometers there, but definitely it's, uh, I mean, some of it, a lot of the Balkans is kind of like slow food without, without anyone Mm -hmm. like reading slow food manifesto or whatever. It's like, yeah, this is just the way we kind of do things that we've, we've Mm -hmm. always, everything is going to be local. You're not going to drive, you know, things in from too, too, too far away. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, they, they, when we were talking about, I mentioned before that there wasn't a McDonald's in Sarajevo, uh, but I think up until like 10 years ago or so, I believe one of the guides had told me something like there was an issue because like Bosnia was like, well, we got our potatoes here and we don't, we don't want the frozen mm-hmm. potatoes coming in from wherever they come in from the, from the McDonald's corp or whatever. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> that might have been like, no, it's like, no, no McDonald's for anyone until like, you know, they're buying our potatoes, which, you know, of course, they're way going to be much better than, than the frozen crap. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it, another thing too, going back to the food, and it is, you know, it is, it's very, it's very rustic and it is very local. But I don't know, five, six years ago, a friend of mine from Sarajevo took me and I think it was a fairly new restaurant at the time. And we did. We did like a five or six course um, pairing menu with, hmm. with with wines, and you know if you looked at the plates they were serving you, that could have been you know it it wasn't Michelin, but it was it, you know it, that that's the kind of place you would ne- never think, especially all my time in Sarajevo was okay. If you're not eating burk and pita or chivap, you know you're you're eating something you know you're eating some kind of hot pot type of plate thing, you know, mm, yeah. I don't know, five euros or something like that. Um, but there, they have, there's, there's other things there too. It's not all, all kind of rustic, let's say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there's definitely sophistication in, in the big towns. Like, and like Andrew said that, you know, Bosnia, you know, it's not a big country um, because it's so mountainous. It does have quite a bit of regional diversity um, so Herzegovina feels like the Mediterranean, then you get up into farther north into Bosnia, and some people compare it to Switzerland, green and mountainous. So there is, there is a lot of, um, you know, kind of contrasts in Bosnia in a pretty small space, which is another thing to, uh, to that's I think attractive about the place. Yeah, I think actually, almost all the countries that I can think of that we that we have in our sphere of of Eastern and Central Europe, there's a lot more to them than just here's the capital city or here's what everyone goes to or everyone, most people spend two and a half days or one and a half mm-hmm. days here. And so I, I hope we can kind of cover more of those places so people get an idea of it's not just like, oh, I'm going to Bosnia and I've got the most our bridge shot and, and that's mm-hmm. um, Totally. Yeah. So, so let's talk about a few things, a few things non-Bosnian, because every week we'd like to give a few tips and picks and things like that. Uh, this week, I thought I'd tell you something about, in case, in case you make it to Slovenia anytime soon, uh, and uh, which is, you know, unfortunately not the case right now for, for Americans, we have, a, we have a car service called Prevos, which 
to be honest, I've never used blah, blah car. And I've been told blah, blah car is not from America, but this is what I always tell you say, oh, this is like Slovenian blah, blah car. Um, I live in Koper, an hour away on the highway is Ljubljana, the capital city. There's no point in me driving and paying for parking and all that, because now I could just go on whatever, two days in advance or the morning of, I wanna travel and go to this site. And here's all these drivers that are driving from whatever city, whatever city I put into the search, to whatever other city I want to go to. So almost any day, I probably have 10 or more rides from Koper to Ljubljana for, let's say, five euros or something like that. Um, I mean, uh, I, I don't think I knew about it until like a year or so ago. My wife was using it to go to Ljubljana and back more, and it's just it's it's more convenient than than buses or trains, and it's faster. Um, it's a pretty good site. You've got things you could you could see how many spaces are available where they're picking up in the city where they drop off some of the people are very open like hey you need to go to the train station sure i'm taking these people to this place but you know i can go to the drop you off of the train station and it's all very reasonable i don't know i doubt i could spend more than probably eight or nine euros on a ride but slovenia is a small country so i would be like i can go from west the west coast on the on the adriatic to probably the border with hungary for maybe 10 euros or something like mm. that wow. if, if someone's driving out that way i think probably a lot of countries of course have these uh these services or this um this site but this one i've used now i don't know a dozen times and i have not had it a bad experience so that's one thing to think about when you're when you are traveling um that you can you know if you're not getting your if you're not renting a car and you don't want to be just on the bus or train schedule now i think it's more and more um a common to be able to find these types of these types of services and so because i've never used drivers andrew like so and then you like have a conversation with the driver or sometimes they just want you to sit in the back seat and shut up or what's that like well yeah that, that's funny i think the first the first time i took it the guy who was sitting in the back i don't know we just started chatting oh where are you from or whatever or he must have heard my bad slovenian and realized he's american and he's like oh you're from seattle it's like are you a seahawks fan i was like <laughs> like wait a sec like you're a you're, you're a slovenian or european and you're gonna you know something about the american football club in my city and he's he's a huge fan of american football and, and start and be, began to tell me that coper used to have an american football club and now hmm. Trient has one all this stuff so we actually so that was like that was like the most social like you know mm -hmm. like we'd, we'd be chatting you know during games now afterwards like hey did you watch did you stay up late and watch the hawks game wow. but um a lot of times it's just a little bit of chit chat it it, it, all, it all depends one time mm -hmm. i took a van with like i don't know six other people and everyone knew each other except for me <laughs> so it was like okay i put my headphones on and tune out for the you know and take a nap Let's face mm -hmm. it, what I do usually. Um, and everyone else is just chit-chatting and telling jokes and, and whatever. So yeah, it's, but it's, it's, and everyone, I mean, regard, I mean, you could speak zero Slovenian and still have, have no issue. Although I try to at least send them SMS in Slovenian mm -hmm. or whatever. But then I always put, I, this, this, this is one of those little tips, like insider tips, like, hey, everyone, I'm not from here, but I don't need to directly tell you that. So I put my SMS in, and then I put my name next to it, Andrew. Well, mm -hmm. no, no, there's, I mean, there's, there's no, and, there's Andres here, but there's no Andrews. So that's yeah. a good little way that everyone knows like, oh, okay, he's definitely not Slovenian, so. Mm -hmm. <laughs> cool, and so then my practical tip for this week is also ground transportation related, and it's Flixbus. 
don't know if you've ever heard of Flixbus, but it's spelled F-L-I-X bus. And this I can recommend it because it's um, a pretty easy bus service connecting lots of cities around Europe. And what makes it easy is that you could, first of all, book online. Just go on their website. You know, you put in your destination like you would for, a, you know, train travel or airplane travel. Um, your tickets can be totally online, too. So you can, you know, it sends a ticket in PDF form to your email or you can download their app and show it that way. So it's really easy to find connections uh, and to do the ticketing. And one thing that's nice about that is depending on where you are in Europe, sometimes it can be a little bit of a hassle to find what are the local intercity bus lines because they're not necessarily all centralized. But Flixbus, even though it's, you know, this kind of overarching corporation now, um, it kind of subsumes some, some uh, more local bus companies. And it's a relatively, um, I guess, general overview of what the bus connections are. It doesn't capture all the bus connections between a city, but it's pretty easy. It can be quite cheap if you book far enough in advance. But I find even if you're booking, you know, a few days in advance, it's still, you know, the the money is pretty pretty reasonable it's definitely cheaper than flights it's definitely cheaper than trains um it's of course takes longer than a flight and sometimes it's not that much uh, longer than a train it can even be faster than a train sometimes the buses have always been in my experience pretty nice pretty comfy you know uh, sometimes they even have like screens uh, that you can watch a movie if you want and again depending on where you are in europe um Flix buses might actually be nicer than the local buses. I know in the Balkans, for example, there's some countries and other bits farther eastern Europe where the buses are, you know, decades old and have seen better days. But Flix buses are all kind of, you know, standardly branded and kept up for pretty good um, kind of maintenance, as I've found. Um, I could definitely second. I could definitely second that with the uh, with the with the condition of the buses uh compared to what what you what you used to get i think i think like in croatia now okay maybe there still are a few but if you're going long haul then it almost everything's flex bus because they've kind of kind of swallowed up some of these other local bus companies and you always know like okay i'm gonna have the wi-fi and it's gonna be working mm -hmm. and sometimes even like oh i can get a seat reservation so you're not just like randomly like asking people like hey i bought a ticket can i sit here and this is like the only seat left or uh, yeah. or, or what ha or what have you um and i think the dri i think the drivers are a little bit more on the ball too they just probably have a better over idea of like customer service things like that yeah i've definitely found that to be true too um so it's a pretty good uh, resource to look for if you want to kind of see about connections between cities. The one thing I would say that can be useful is to pay attention to where a particular journey originates because delays are possible, right? So let's say, you know, you want to go from, I don't know what, uh, you know, let's just say Budapest to Sarajevo, right? Um, as an example. Um, you really want to find a bus that originates in Budapest and is going to Sarajevo, and ideally not not a bus that say originates in Vienna and is going to Sarajevo, or sometimes you know it might be originating somewhere in Germany and going to Sarajevo because if it starts in Budapest, then you can be sure it's going to leave right about on time. But if it starts somewhere else, then it might have encountered delays on the way. And just as an example, I was taking Flixbus actually um, not long ago from Wrocław in southern Poland to Prague. And there are a couple of different, you know, convenient times, but I could tell that some of the buses actually left, or they started in Warsaw, 
and then came through Wrocław and then went to Prague. And I said, I'm not interested in those because I don't know how much, how delayed they're going to be. So I found the bus that actually started in Wrocław and then went to Prague um, directly. And that was a way of kind of eliminating delays. So just, you know, keep that in mind if you ever do book with Flixbus, is it try to find out actually where the bus starts from, if you can, and hopefully that way it'll be as on time as it can be. Yeah, and regarding the price, I mean, I've I've taken either Trieste or Ljubl and Ljubljana to Budapest, and that's like 19 to 25 mm -hmm. euros uh, one way. And sometimes, sometimes you can even get a, a round trip, you know, for not less than that, but less than two two one ways. Yeah, it used to for me. It used to be that uh, tr bus travel in the Baltics, not Balkans, but Baltics, was tops. Like they had mm. they had their shit together. Uh, everything always had Wi-Fi, and it was just, and it seemed like they kind of had a network. I don't know if it, it wasn't, it wasn't Eurolines, it was something else, but it seemed like all three countries, because they're all next to each other, and that everyone's going between the three capitals, that was always like, okay, this is great, and you can get like a, a Lux, you know, like a Lux seat, you know, up on, you know, with like a little table next to it, and there's all sorts of stuff, and then Flixbus, which I think is, I don't know, maybe four or five years now, is really just it's made it so easy because the thing that used to be tough Ben, and i'm sure you remember this is you're like okay i need to go from slovenia to, to romania so is that a slovenian bus company who has that is mm -hmm. that a romanian company oh, okay i take a bus to hungary then i gotta go to a different site uh mm -hmm. and see what the hungarian uh, the timetable is from hungary to romania and so now it's just like, great. It's like, if you put in Ljubljana, it'll only show you the destinations it can go to. So it, it won't show you like someplace into like on the list and say, oh yeah, but it doesn't go here. It's like, so you kind of know immediately. So it's a good, I, it's a good way also just to be like, hey, I'm in, I'm in country, I'm in city X. Where can I go on, on the bus from here? And it's sometimes surprising to be like, wow, it only takes that long. It's only mm -hmm. that much to, to get from, from here to there. And, so it kind of gives you a different uh, perspective on things. And there's a lot of direct, I'd say there's quite a few direct buses depending on where you're going. So it's not, I think trains always have seemingly have more changes. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And just like you say that, um, like the old days, you'd have to maybe go down to the bus station and look at the sign of the bus station saying, okay, I'm here and, when do the buses go to the city that I'm looking to get to, and then which bus line, which bus company actually goes there. And some bus companies, and even if you don't have to go to the bus station anymore, some bus companies, their websites are terrible, or maybe you're in a language you don't read, but Flixbus has the advantage of, you can always switch it to English, um, and it, uh, you just it's reliable as to like, okay, here's the connections between these two cities. So it kind of eliminates some of the hassle of actually figuring out you know, what are the, what are the different bus options to actually get from point A to point B? Yeah. Yeah. I think with trains that always the advantage was like, you were pretty sure, especially in this part of the world, that there's always going to be tickets available because you mm -hmm. know, most trains, a lot of times you're like, how many cars are on this train? Like and compared to the amount of people uh, with buses, it's more finite seating. And so you'd want to be able to get your ticket, especially if it's like, oh, I'm waiting to one in the, I'm taking my bus at one in the morning. I want to make sure I have a seat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, it's just much, much, much uh, uh, less of a stress to be like, yep, I got it. It's on my, I've, I've got it on my phone and they check it. And the last, the last thing I'll say, which I, I 
found interesting. The Flixbus kind of kind of is almost like a mini airport because they usually ch they'll check your ID to make sure it's like, oh, this is you. And so that's the name we have on our thing. Whereas like normal bus company or at a train station, you would never be showing that. So I'm always like, oh, it's Flixbus. I'll have my passport next to my ticket <laughs> mm -hmm. to show. Um, another thing that uh, we're going to start doing on our podcast is just have a weekly pick for something. Could be a book, could be a movie, uh, could be supposedly a restaurant or a wine or all sorts of different things. Ben, what do you, what do you have picked out for? Our first so for this week, something Bosnian flavored, and that is some characteristic Bosnian music. And there's a band called Mostar Sevdah Reunion. Sevdah is spelled S-E-V-D-A-H, Reunion. And this is a like absolutely classic Bosnian style of music, which fuses all these fascinating cultural influences from Bosnia. So there's, if you listen, you'll hear some stuff that sounds kind of Middle Eastern and Turkish, but there's like Sephardic Jewish influences there. There's some kind of folk music influences that you would associate with other kind of Eastern European sounds. And it's this band that kind of started in the late uh, 1990s to revive this old tradition of Bosnian folk songs called Sevdah or Sevdalinka, which are kind of these melancholy, often love songs. But they don't only do these old melancholy love songs. They've also got some like up-tempo, funky, kind of um, amazing like folk rhythms stuff. So my tip for this week is go on YouTube. Google or not Google, but search for Mostar Sevdah Reunion and listen to a few songs, which as soon as you hear it, like you're not in Kansas anymore, you're getting these sounds of Bosnia and it'll just take you far away and some really, really interesting musical stylings that maybe you've never heard anything quite like it before. Uh, I, I, I believe that is the only, I have one of their CDs and I think that's the only CD I have from a Bosnian artist. I, it's funny, I used to try to pick up more music Mm -hmm. than, I, than I do now when I, when I, of course, when I wasn't going to these places on such a normal basis. Um, uh, and, and also I think I notice now that I hear, I hear less of that music in, in a lot of places where maybe I used to hear more of it. And now I just hear whatever 21st century global pop stuff yeah, uh, or, or, or whatever. And also I think it's, although you can still find a few CD shops around, I think that's like one good thing. Everyone hasn't gone uh, hasn't gone digital because um, yeah, when I first went to Mostar, uh, I remember some guys selling cassettes, and so I yeah. bought a couple of cassettes, and I was like, wow. I don't know what this is. I think one was like some some Bosnian hip hop um, hmm. or whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, that's uh, that's that. When I hear when I hear their music, I'm like, okay, yeah, this is this like, and I'm I'll be sitting. I'll think I'll be sitting in like a restaurant eating all the traditional food we were talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, so my pick also Bosnian related. I'm a big uh, film guy. Um, and one movie, I'm glad I saw it probably after I'd been to the Balkans enough. So I understood it. I got a sense of humor. It's, a, it's actually a US film called The Hunting Party from 2007. The guy who directed it did a, a, another dark comedy called The Matador with Pierce Brosnan. Um, I think that came out a couple years before this. And I had seen that and I was like, oh, I like that style of humor. This movie has uh, actually got some big names. It's got Richard Gere in it. It has Jesse uh, Eisenberg, like pre whatever social media Facebook movie he made. So Hunting Party uh, follows some 
some Bosnian war journal, American war journalists who were who were over in the Balkans in the 90s, and they come back for some reunion or pick up some something or other, and they run into each run into each other, and one of them has the crazy idea of, hey, there's there's still this this war criminal out there that has a still has like a million dollar bounty from the U.S. government on his head, and one of them has a tip on like where he heard he's 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 hiding. And it's just like, it's a dark comedy with some politics. Um, it, it really skewers, it skewers like everyone, skewers the UN, skewers the US by showing like, yeah, there was a, a reward, a hotline for, for, for reward tips in a 1-800 number, which of course you can't use in Europe. Um, and of course, it skewers the nationalistic hicks from the sticks, um, which, uh, but I think it, everyone, everyone kind of, everyone gets a good jab or two in it. Um, I don't think it's necessarily pro this country and anti this country, um, but it's it's a good way to like look back on on what all happened there and you know look at and see you know what wh why we're still actually you know probably still processing war criminals uh, from that time and who who really cares about it? Um, it it's shot in I be I believe it was mostly shot in. Croatia locations with a few things in Bosnia. I looked up on IMDb for that, but I definitely recognize some of the some of the locales. Um, and they have a few characters that like they don't say like, oh, this is Archon from the actual mm -hmm. war, and he, you know, war criminal, but they have someone who's like him or whatever. So if you know a little bit about, and if you don't know much about the war, I think it's I think it, it's it's an entertaining movie if you like the kind of dark comedy and some suspense. Um, it has a little kind of crazy ending to it, which is like not so realistic, but enjoyable and probably different than most uh, Hollywood scriptwriters would have would have turned out. It's one of those movies that I'm actually surprised surprisingly got made, just because hmm. it's like if you're gonna if you pitched a movie like hey let's 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 revisit the Balkans like ten or twelve <laughs> years later, uh -huh. and it wasn't a movie like about the war, people would be like yeah I don't know, but um, that's that's, I believe it's on, I think I saw it on Netflix not so long ago. So it's, it's around. You certainly can find it, I'm sure, on some, on some platform. Called The Hunting Party from 2007. Yeah. I haven't seen that one. So that's a, that's a fantastic recommendation. Thank you, sir. Yes, it's, it's definitely uh, worth a look. Because really, most of the Balkan films about the war are all movies from these countries, which some people will just not sit through subtitles or bad or bad mm -hmm. dubbing or say, oh, this is too much of a, a downer. So this gives you some insight without being a complete downer, but it's it's also has its serious moments as well. So uh, that's something I would recommend. Yeah, so that is about it for this episode. But to round things up, I wanted to give everybody an idea of what you can look forward to in coming episodes, all the kind of interesting stuff we're going to be talking about and there's going to be lots of good stories Andrew and I have already kind of brainstormed on some good stories from the first time we went to all kinds of different locations more useful kind of travel tips like we did in this episode um, and lots of stuff that will kind of bring alive some destinations and interesting things and interesting places and interesting aspects of the history and culture of these bits of Central and Eastern Europe and just as my teaser I want to mention a place that does summarize amazing bits of art, architecture, history, landscape, and adventure from Eastern and Central Europe. 
and I'm not going to go into great detail right now. Just imagine this. On a mountaintop in Bulgaria, there's a UFO. Not from another planet, but built by the communists. It's this absurd big piece of concrete architecture built on a mountaintop to hold big like uh, congresses and conventions of the communist party. It is filled inside with these bizarre, amazing socialist realist murals and mosaics of Karl Marx and Lenin. Um, you stand on this mountaintop and look out and see this incredible uh, mountain range stretching out in front of you. And now it is abandoned and crumbling. And to get in, at least when I was there a few years ago, you had to crawl in through a gap in some of the crumbling concrete. And that kind of place, what is it about? What's it doing there? What does it mean? Wow, to me, that is a fascinating kind of adventure bit of Central and Eastern Europe that we're going to tell you more about all those kind of topics in the episodes to come. So yeah, and the essential question there would be like, is it worth get, you know risking getting crumbled building material like breaking your back and splitting your head open just to get into like I made it I made it to the like Balkan Bulgarian UFO thing which when you mentioned it to me when you said the name and I, I don't even know what it's called I was like oh that must be like in my mind I'm like that must be that UFO kind mm. of thing in Bulgaria that I've heard about <laughs> it's totally worth it especially because inside the inside is crawling with uh, the zombie uh, animated zombie corpses of Karl Marx and his accomplished associates. So, you know, if you're into that kind of thing, go for it. Nice, nice. Yeah, I think I actually, I, I'm going to get some good ideas here because I, I don't have so, I don't have so many kind of like, you know, communist reminder era places I go, which is maybe one of the reasons why I, when I, when I think of, let's say the Balkans, which I spend most of my time in, I don't think of it from that, you know, from that whatever 30 or 40 mm. year time period so much because I'm not sure if I don't just don't go there or if in Slovenia, most of that stuff's been uh, erased. Um, so yeah, uh, one of the things I would like to, to talk about uh, on future episodes, I'd like to have some guests on um, and talk about different things that, you know, just the, the, the local perspective on things, or as I mentioned earlier, let's talk about this Yugo nostalgia. If you have an idea for a topic, if you'd be interested in joining us on a podcast, you can send us an email to eapproaches, all one word, at gmail.com. And before we uh, head out and sign off, Ben, do you have one last Bosnian joke for us? Yep, here's, here's our closer Bosnian joke. So as part of the Russian space program, the Russians send up into space a capsule with one Bosnian astronaut and three dogs. The capsule launches. It's sailing off into the atmosphere. Uh, mission control checks in, says, uh, dog number one, please check air pressure. And you hear over the intercom, Mission control says, Roger. Dog number two, please check telemetry. Ruff, ruff. Mission control says, Roger. Dog number three, please verify navigation. Ruff, ruff. Mission control says, all confirmed. Bosnian astronaut, keep feeding the dogs and don't touch anything. Over. There you go. Bit of Bosnian humor for you. Now that one I ha that one I have not heard before. So mm -hmm. uh, yeah.
that's the, yeah. that's a good one. I didn't. Yes, I, in fact, I think th I think there's probably room for some kind of discussion on the uh, former Yugoslav like space program mm -hmm. uh, rumors and myths and legends. So we'll mm -hmm. put that uh, down as a possibility for one for for a later episode, and maybe we could revisit the joke. Sounds <laughs> good. Yeah. All right, well, Ben. Thanks. Well, uh, take yeah. care there in, in Prague, and until next time, everyone, peace yep. out. Thanks for listening, everybody. Until next time.